So let's turn to Malachi chapter 1, and let's read our text. And if you have a, a, a ribbon in your Bible, I would encourage you to get it ready, because we are going to turn to one or two other texts this morning. And that way you can keep it in Malachi chapter 1. Um, we're going to be in verses 6 through 14. And here's a simple title. Um, this is what I've titled the message this morning, The Importance of Worship. And then I'll put in, in parentheses this phrase, guarding it. The importance of worship, guarding it. Um, as we read this text, I want you to hear uh, a couple things. First of all, I want you to carefully remember the context of what uh, the Lord is revealing through his prophet Malachi as he's speaking to him. We've looked at the burden of the word of the Lord. I know the text says the oracle in verse 1, but we, we unpack that idea that the, the word of God is weighty, that we, we ought to respond to it in a, a way uh, that, that we recognize the importance, the, the, the deep significance of it, not only for me as a pastor, but for us as we hear and respond to that. And so that's what the Lord was challenging with the Israelites with. Then the next key context, like uh, first step, if you will, or the first stone in the context of all that's going to be unpacked through the prophet Malachi is that God is a God of love that has never stopped loving his people. And, and so we need to have that mindset like so ingrained in us as we go through this book that we know everything about this is rooted in God's loving kindness, Okay. So, so let's not forget that as we begin to read this passage. So let's pick up in verse 6, and we're going to read through 14. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? Remember, this is that the device that the Lord uses to catch the attention of the listeners. And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? There's that phraseology, right? He, he begins these things, and they ask him a question, and then he answers, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may de be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not, I will not accept an offering from your hand. Very familiar passage, for from the rising of the sun to the, its setting, my name will be great among the nations. The song we sing is greatly to be praised. Mason, that's how you ended the, the worship, as you prayed. I think you said, we thank you, glorious God, praise your name. That was the text that you read. So there it is, right there, that same idea. Okay, from, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock 
and vows it and yet sacrifices it to the Lord what, and sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. I, uh, as I began studying this this week, there were two things that really jumped out to me, and I want to hopefully help you see these things too. The, there are two actually uh, terms that, that the Lord describes him at, at himself as in the text. The first is father, and we, we see that right away in verse 6, as a, a son honors his father and a servant his master. And, and so I, I, there's this appeal that when we recognize this love of God towards the Israelites, that he is emphasizing a fatherly love for them. This is not just the, the love of some sovereign who rules over the people and demands from them and gets the, the, the respect he deserves. This is a fatherly love. And, and though we deal with fatherly love that is imperfect in earthly relationships, I'm so glad that my older kids are not here, because and Juliana can and vouch for this, but we've joked about all the dumb things that I've done as a father. And I've shared them with some of you over the past. And we've talked and laughed and yet to pay for it, but it'll probably be a day that we do. We will pay for their counseling, okay? And we'll, we'll probably sit there and look and go, oh, these are the things that we did that were dumb that they're doing now with their own kids. And we're going to go, we, this is why we scarred our grandkids too. I, I get it, okay? But earthly fathers, we're, we're weak. We have those fallibility issues, but our Heavenly Father is not. His love is perfect. His discipline is perfect. His justice is perfect. Everything about him is perfect. And I know too often we filter our view of God as a father through those uh, fallible earthly fathers that we had. We can't do that and be healthy in, in terms of, uh, of understanding who he is. If, if we can set those things aside and go, hey, where our earthly dads got it right, let's celebrate that they honored the Lord well. Where they got it wrong, we recognize that it's sin and that they're being sanctified if they're believers. But, but God is still faithful to us. And the way he always loves us well as a father is so overwhelming. The second term is this, and it occurs, this is actually, as I studied this, I didn't know this fact. But the other term is Lord of Hosts. And if you notice in your text, it's a capital L-O-R-D. That stands for the, the, the tetragrammaton, the, the word Yahweh or Yahweh um, in the Hebrew that is the proper name of God. Lord of Hosts is the, the most frequently used compound name of God. So you, so you think about um, other ways that that could be expressed. But Lord of Hosts is one of the most important and frequently used terms uh, for to describe him. And we're going to look at what that means in a few minutes, okay? So I wanted to, to look at this idea, though, of what does the fatherhood of God really do for us, especially tying into to where we've been earlier in Malachi, in this idea of Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated, and this idea of election. Because not that this is pouring in, back into election, but I want us to see how these things still do relate. So turn over in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to hit two passages in the New Testament. So um, First and Second Corinthians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if that helps you locate it. Galatians 4, and we're going to be in verses 4 through 7. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, 
Now, that, that's a huge statement that, that is repeated throughout the New Testament because it's dealing with the context of the Lord, like especially think about this, we're, we're coming out of Malachi, where Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and then 400 years of silence. That 400 years of silence is the Lord waiting for the perfect time to bring John the Baptist on and then reveal Christ. So it's this fullness of time, okay? So it gives us this hint of God's perfection is operating, okay? So, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were, not, who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, what? Abba, Father. There's such a great picture. Let's finish up in verse 7. So that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I want to break this down for just a minute because I think this is so important. We're, we're coming to Easter. Okay, it's just a couple weeks away. What do we celebrate at Easter? The risen Savior, right? But apart from the risen Savior coming in the flesh... We can't celebrate Easter. It's the fact that Jesus, divine, became incarnate and then died and rose uh, from the grave, okay? So, so this idea that Christ was sent in the fullness of time to redeem us, that God sent forth his son, is, is a tremendous concept with a purpose. If you notice in the text, it says, so that we are, are to redeem those who are under the law. That's all of us. The purpose of Jesus' coming was to, to redeem mankind with a purpose so that we might what? Receive adoption as sons. We, and we would include this idea of daughters. It's just part of the way the language in, in the scriptures work. But folks, adoption as sons or daughters of the Lord puts us as, love this passage, co-heirs with Christ. That we are able to call him Father. Abba, Father, is this term of intimacy. Now, let me say this. Though that term of intimacy is certainly a, an important idea, let us not also lose a sense of reverence when we gain familiarity with Him. There ought to be that love and respect for Him and who He is, even though we do have that intimacy. So let me couple, couple, cover a couple things. I, I mentioned these, but I'll give you a couple numbers here. First, He sent forth His Son. And I want to go back to our text, knowing that people are incapable of securing their own righteousness. The only way that we can be righteous is because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's why the Lord, our Heavenly Father, sent Jesus His Son. Let us rejoice in that. Second, we see how God accomplished this through Jesus. The word is redeemed. He redeemed those under the law. I don't, I don't care if you know this, this Greek word necessarily, but it's exagorazao. I practice this, and now I'm in the talking to facts. Exagorazo. Exagorazo, okay? You hear the prefix on it. That's why I wanted to say the Greek. Ex. Exagorazo. Ex means what? Out of. Okay? The idea is that we have been bought out of something. And the idea, more specifically, is used in terms, we have bought, been bought out of the slavery of sin. We were under the curse of the law. God bought us out of that, redeeming us out of that 
but not just to set us aside. We were deemed out of the slavery, the position of slavery to what? To sonship. That, that we are no longer enemies of God, but we are co-heirs with Christ. Woo! Folks, if, if that doesn't like make you want to rejoice at, at what God's purpose of salvation is and how it transforms us and the security that we have, I don't know what does. This is a picture of what God is getting at out of his fatherhood relationship with Israel in Malachi. It's just expressed in a new way in the new covenant with Jesus. We need to rejoice in that. The third thing it brings us to, and, and, and this I've talked about it, but I want to make sure it's clear, is for the purpose that we receive adoption. So you have the, the one, two, three things there. Look over at Ephesians, just a couple books over, Ephesians 1. And this just echoes these thoughts just as another passage. I'm not going to unpack this to the same link, but I just want to give this to you. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Hear what being a co-heir gives us or provides us, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's phenomenal, folks. We are rich. We are rich. And that's not every blessing in this temporal time. That's the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. Don't fall into that trap. Spiritual blessings are spiritual. They, they help us in, with the temporal things, but they're spiritual blessings. He goes on, okay? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us, here's where it gets really specific, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We could go on to seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. On and on and on. That, that is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. It talks about who we were, what God has called us to be, how he, he's uh, adopted us to be heirs with Christ and provided us every spiritual blessing. And what is it rooted in? It's in love. See, all these things relate so carefully to Malachi. Now, I'm sure you're not going to find those cross-references in your Bible necessarily, but I guarantee the themes line up. And we see that this morning as we unpack these things. So let's go back to Malachi. Let's go back to Malachi. So here's the issue. And I hope I'm painting this picture well enough that in love, God has done this work, but he's got this ought with the people of Israel, particularly the priest, and he issues force, like he's sitting in, as a, in a sense, as the judge behind, in the dock, okay, or behind the bench, the, the weir would be in the dock, and he's ruling his, giving his verdict, okay? And there's essentially two pieces of this verdict that he's, he's going to give. And the first is this. The priests are guilty. And, and I hope as you read this, you heard these things. And I'm not going to review them all. But let's, let's go through this, okay? Again, in verse 6 and 7. He says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then, if then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Here's the verdict. By offering polluted food upon my altar... But you say, how have we done this? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. Their attitude, the priest's attitude, was so rebellious and callous to the Lord. They were like, we don't care what we offer. We know the Lord has given us these guidelines, 
but, but we're just going to kind of do what we please. They were dishonoring the Lord at every point. Now, here's the, the, the struggle with this, and I want, I want to be careful here, because not only were the priests indicted in this verdict, but by association, the people were too. So, so as I'm reflecting on this, I'll be honest, part of my own like struggle in this is, as a pastor, I, I operate in a sense as one who mediates for the church in prayer and presentation of the word and guardianship of the flock. So, so there's a sense of that, okay? And there's a sense where you as the, 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 the flock, the people of the church, also have responsibility. And we live in a culture where there's a lot of tickling of ears from the pulpits. It's we preach what feels good, what sounds good, what, what makes us, you know, not confronted by sin where we, we can just kind of do what we please. And the problem with this is twofold. It's one, the people in the pulpit. Two, it's the people in the, the pews, so to speak, that we're not doing a right job of holding one, account, one another accountable to healthy worship, to, to the, the right teaching of the Word. And so let me show you how the Lord actually like, gets really specific with them. Um, verse 10 he says this, oh, that, and, and remember, this is where he's gone through all of the presentations of the, of the, the or the, the, the conviction and the, the challenge about the false worship that they've been presenting, the, the poor animal choices and all those things. In verse 10, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. Here's the idea. Who's the one that would stand up and say, this is unholy? This is not godly. This is under false pretense. Who would have the courage among the people, among the priests? It does not matter. Who's the one that would call them to account? That this is displeasing to the Lord. You hear how serious things had gotten that no one was doing that. So the Lord has Malachi essentially call everyone to account. It, it's a serious moment. Folks, I'm afraid that we're not far from that kind of day in the evangelical church today, that we so compromise the truth of the Word of God, the, the sincerity of worship, that, that we allow cheap, idolatrous things to inhibit what God really desires in our hearts. And I'm going to cover a little bit of that in a second. So, that first verdict is to the priest. The second is the callousness of the people. And what that callousness does, and I want you to hear this part of the verdict, is it prevents the glory of God from being made renowned. Does that make sense? And, and so we've seen that over and over again. That, that the, if we go back, um, what, what the Lord wants to do, remember, He's trying to expand His renown among the Gentiles. So this is part of what he's doing in this. Now this is where, let me bring in this idea of the Lord of hosts, okay? Because the Lord of hosts, that title that he starts using throughout this, is a title that represents God as the warrior. We, we, we don't like that in some ways. I know we go, we want God to be a warrior for us. But the truth is, 
God is also a warrior for his glory and his renown. And if we don't respect that, he will come in and he will discipline. That's what he's doing here in our text. He's not criticizing the Gentile nations. He's criticizing the Israelites, the Jews, for their rebellion, for their callousness. So I want you to hear this, uh, this description. The warrior, the Lord of hosts, he fights both a cosmic conflict with, against the divine forces. That's good news for us, okay? That, that we do exist in a, a life of spiritual warfare. And let me remind you this. I was reading a book this week um, that reminded me of this. Spiritual warfare is not a hit and miss thing. It, it doesn't rise and fall. You say, what do you mean by that? Spiritual warfare rages around us all the time. We are in the midst of spiritual warfare all the time, folks. Whether we recognize it or not, I think it does heighten, but we live in a world that is under the authority of who right now? I know supremely under God and His divine sovereign authority, but He's temporarily given this world over to who? Satan. And he's fostering environments all of the time, everywhere we go, to seek how he may devour us as believers. Don't let your guard down. But also know this, we have a sovereign God who is a God that loves us as a father, but he's also the Lord of hosts, and he's fighting on our behalf a cosmic conflict that we might win. And guess what? The good news is what will happen in the end? We will win. We will win. But that doesn't mean we just kick our heels up and go, God's got this. We have a responsibility to walk in obedience, to put on the full armor of God according to Ephesians 6, that we rightly stand firm in the truth of God's Word and all of those things. And folks, if we get uh, apathetic or we, we just kind of think dismissively about those things, we will fall prey. We've got to stand guard against those things. So he fights for that, against that cosmic in that cosmic conflict. But he also does this. He fights for us. He, he's constantly pursuing his children so that we will rightly relate to him. And when we get out of bounds, he's fighting for us as the Lord of hosts, the warrior, to call us back to the right relationship where our joy in him is our strength. Because if we put our joy in anything other than him, we will crumble. We'll fall prey to the enemy. So he, he's fighting against to, to keep things at bay, but he's fighting to get us back to him as the shepherd ought. Does that make sense? So, so rejoice in those things. And when the struggles and some of those things where we may suffer come into play, let us remember that those things may be things that God is using to draw us back because our tendency is to do what? To let a lot of things creep in, just like the Israelites had done, to, go, to grow callous in our hearts so that the offering and the things that we present are less than what God desires. And, and we make excuses, and we make allowances, and we become self-reliant, just like the Israelites. Don't, don't be fooled. We're just like them. And the danger is that we will lose our relationship with the Lord and its health and that joy. So he's fighting on our behalf. He's the Lord of hosts to, to redeem us and restore us. 
to call us back to the best things. He's patient and long-suffering in that way so that we find His love and His loving kindness to be sure, His mercies to be so, uh, so rich that that's all we ought to long for. It doesn't mean we stir up sin so we can find new mercy and grace. No, that's, Paul says that in Romans 6.1. Don't continue in sin so that grace may increase. He's like, no, by no means do that. We should instead look at the grace of God and go, because of the grace of God, I want to avoid sin. I want to walk in righteousness. This is what, who I am as an adopted child, as an adopted son or daughter through Christ's work. The sanctifying work that is being accomplished in me is going to make me like Christ over and over again. And I'm not going to cheapen that by allowing silly, like the, the, the blind and lame things as the sheep were brought in those kind of impure things to be what my life embraces and what I falsely present and show that I actually despise the Lord. That, that's what Malachi is getting at. So, let me give you a list of, um, oh, I want to read this to you. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you get to... Hebrews, James, maybe that's bigger books that'll help you. First Peter, after James, a couple books before Revelation. First Peter two, verse nine. I think I read this last week, but um, such a great passage. And I want to help you relate, like what I've been talking about, where the priests are responsible, where the people are there. This is where we get the idea that we are responsible as priests. Okay, First Peter two nine. But you are a chosen race. Think about that with the Israelites. Think about that as us believers, what we've been through in Malachi 1 already. A royal priesthood. We, we have a responsibility as the children of God to respond as royal priesthood, okay? A holy nation, a people for his own possession. I, I, that reminds me of that shepherd metaphor that I was using a minute ago. It's like he still possesses us. Yes, he bought us out of slaves, but to a point that we're adopted as sons. So there's this kind of possession and it's not one that's necessarily lorded in the wrong way. It's always lorded perfectly. You hear all these things come out of this passage. He says this, That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, that our purpose is having been chosen, having been established as his priesthood. Our goal is to celebrate him as ones who have been called out of the darkness into the marvelous light. But how many of us are still choosing to live in darkness instead of the light? I want to give you five things, five ways, if you will, that we are to operate as priests. So, so think about kind of the context of the message. If this is what the, the Lord is challenging the Israelites and the priests and the, the, the people to come back and get worship right, how do we together as a royal priesthood rightly operate as priests in the presentation of offering and sacrifices, okay? Because it's not the old system with lambs. That's already been accomplished by Jesus, the, the final lamb brought to the sacrifice, okay? So for us, it's a different means now. What are the, the five things? So Romans 12, the first is this, that we would offer up ourselves or our bodies as living sacrifices. That doesn't mean we lay ourselves on an altar and, and kill ourselves or do anything like that. No, it's a living sacrifice. We remain alive. So what does Romans 12, 1 say? Let me read that. 
You can just write these down. I'm not going to take time to turn to the others, but I, I do want to re- read this one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And that, I love that phrase. Because when we think about Paul writing, he's addressing God's loving kindness, the mercies, the things where we've been struggling with sin and the consequences of sin. But he says, these mercies are, uh, of God are what I appeal to you. It's rich before you. He says, to do this, to present your bodies a living sac- as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, so folks, I would stop right there and say, are we presenting ourselves as living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable? See, the qualifier is the key. The Israelites were presenting a sacrifice, but they were unholy and unacceptable. We need to be careful to identify those things in our lives which we tend to excuse and we say, yeah, it's not so bad, it's still acceptable to God, but it's unholy, it's not righteous. That means we're not really working towards our sanctification. We're like harboring things, just like this right. We're, we're becoming callous in our hearts towards the glory of God. The second thing, so first, one, offer up your body, Romans 12, 1. The second, offer up your finances to the Lord as a spiritual sacrifice. Offer your finances. Philippians 4, 14 and through 18, and I'll repeat these things so you can take them if, get them if you're taking notes. Offer your finances to the Lord. Philippians 4, 14 through 18. It says this, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. This is Paul writing. He says, and you Philippians, you sell yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into the partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Uh, can you imagine like picking that up letter possibly up as a, a church outside of Philippine going, we missed the opportunity to bless Paul in ministry. But the Philippians, they were generous. They blessed Paul by their giving so that the gospel could continue. He said, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. There was a generosity. And I love this because Paul qualifies. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Folks, let me tell you something very simple. When we give, God multiplies it. We don't need to be stingy with our resources. We, we need to trust God that God has called us to a biblical economy that somehow this God who owns the cattle on a th- thousand hills metaphorically, okay, he, he doesn't have a, he's not a shepherd up there cattle and, you know, doing cattle farming. It's a metaphor that he owns a ton. He owns it all. So, so the truth is, and we're going to see this, Malachi comes back and addresses what was happening in Israel. They were stealing from God. They were robbing God by withholding their tithes and offerings. We need to be a people who are generous in our finances because God takes those things and He uses them for the furtherment of His kingdom. They're not, they're not our finances anyhow. They're ours to steward. So I would ask you carefully, prayerfully, Think about how you are stewarding God's resources so that you too can, like the Philippians, grow in generosity. That's what we're called to be and do as royal priests. Third, you offer up your praise to the Lord according to Hebrews 13, 15. You offer up your praise to the Lord according to Hebrews 13, 15. It says, through Him, 
then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Let me say this. It's easy to do that in the church service. It's way harder to do that in the midst of the week when pressure's coming, when pressures are weighing you down. But the first thing that we ought to do is every morning say, Lord, how can I offer you today a sacrifice of praise for my lips? Because you are a God that is faithful, you're patient, go through all these things about who he is. And, his, and, and knowing that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, I can just trust you. you you're going to be good to me today. You claim promises and give God praise. I tend to do the opposite. I'm just confessing to you. I get in the midst of problems and struggles, and my first go-to is, oh, what's wrong? What, what have I done? I don't praise God that he's faithful and sure. I'm sorry. I, I wish I was better at that. That is a constant struggle. I want to be positive in my life about all the circumstances that God has placed before me. And it is a place that I try to constantly discipline myself. That's why I constantly try to surround myself as best I can with music and those thoughts and the, the thoughts of the day. All those things that I can meditate on the Lord because I need it in my heart. It's not, just, it's not enough just to do this on a Sunday. It's good. It's beneficial. But it is a not enough. We need to do it all of the time, offering a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. We also offer up, number four, our good works. Our good works. Hebrews 13, 16. So we offer praise, and then verse 16, works. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. How are you doing good to people? How, how are you looking around at people with needs? How are you praying over people? Because maybe your finances are limited, but guess what? You probably have other resources that you can go and serve in some way. It's, it's when I put out a plea about a, a, a generator a couple weeks ago. I didn't need money. I just needed a generator. Somebody provided. That service is doing good works. It's simple things all of the time. Prepping meals for people in need. We have meal trains going on all the time in our, our church life. I say all the time. It happened consistently. You get my, my drift. How are you doing good works? We're making an appeal to, to invite neighbors to church on Easter. How are you doing good works to your neighbor? We can open our eyes all of the time to the things that people need that will be a sacrifice on our own part, but we'll also uh, open up the opportunities to the share the gospel with people. We ought to be sacrificing in that way. Last one, fifth way. You're to even offer up those who have accepted the gospel as a result of your sharing. That's, that's interesting, okay? You, you offer up those that you share, that come to Christ through the sharing of the gospel. Listen to what Romans 15, 16 says. To be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles and the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What Paul's communicating there is that he'd been out sharing the gospel with the Gentiles and they were responding. And he's saying they are now a, a sacrificial offering to the Lord. It's like he's not claiming them for himself. He's not... Uh, establishing his own authority or his trying to build his resume on these things. He's just saying, no, this is God's goodness. And I'm laying them upon the altar that, that they glorify God. That's what the sacrifice does. It brings glory to God. Folks, that's why we need to be a body that shares the good news of Jesus Christ with others. By sharing what? The love 
and good news, okay? It's both of those things. Because as we share the good news and people come to Christ through faith, that's an offering to the Lord of our obedience to fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations. And, and so it's, it's to His glory because we recognize that He's doing that good work in there. So here's what I'm going to leave us this morning, okay? As you think through this message, and especially maybe that list of five things, I want to challenge you with this question. How am I doing in living a life of sacrificial obedience to the Lord? How am I doing? My guess is as we, I went through that list of five things, you may go, oh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm struggling with a little bit. Maybe there's an area that I can cert- certainly can improve in. Maybe you identify more than struggling. I've grown callous in that. Don't, don't live there. The follow-up question would be this. What is hindering you or me and leaving me callous rather than walking in righteous obedience? See, whatever that might be that's hindering you, it's at, at root it's going to be sin, okay? At worst, it could be something that's idolatrous that you've elevated above the Lord, it's leaving you in that callous position where, where he's trying to become that Lord of hosts for you and he's calling you back. Folks, he will discipline you. He will correct you. That's a good thing. Don't hear that as a bad thing. He, he's going to fight for you to call you back to helpful, hopeful obedience so that you're righteous. That's his desire. It brings glory to him. It's a good, good thing. But he will not be satisfied if you grow callous to sin and you raise something in, as an idol in your life. And ultimately, it will strip you of your joy in the Lord. It, it will cause you to stumble in your walk, and you'll face severe consequences. That's just a pastoral warning. So, so don't be satisfied with anything other than that. So here's what I want you to do. I want us to pray. I just want you to pray and do an inventory this morning. How am I doing? Where is the Lord possibly convincing you and convicting you and drawing him back? Where may you sense the Lord of hosts is being that warrior for you? Don't be satisfied today to be any, in any position other than returning to the Lord in repentance if you've got that callous or sinful place and rejoicing in his work as that in, in you towards obedience and righteousness as that son. Because he wants to be that Father to you, not just the Lord of hosts. Those things go together in Malachi. Let us not leave them separated because of sin. So I want you to just take a minute and respond to the Lord. Pray. Search your, ask Him to search your heart. And then Mason's going to come and we're going to do a reprise this morning. Of this. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for the book of Malachi and how it so <laughs> poignantly relates, and I, I chuckle at that because all of Scripture does. I don't know why I'd even acknowledge that or say. It's just always amazing the freshness when I think about how you reveal yourself through specific books and, and things. Lord, there's, to me, it's obvious that we can so much be like the Israelites and have a great need to search our hearts. So, Lord, we pray that, that we pray that your word would search us out and you show, uh, show us if there's any sin in us that we might confess that and return to you. So, Lord, how I want us to do that right now, I'm going to be quiet for about 30 seconds, and I'm going to ask that everyone in this room would just 
take a moment to listen carefully to your spirit move and, and use the words of Scripture to convince and confirm and convict and um, to, to draw them towards repentance or to even amplify if they're doing well, where, where they're doing well, but also to be wise and discerning and guarded about places that they may struggle, that we not grow apathetic towards those places that we need to, to be cautious in. So Lord, I'm going to be quiet. Speak to us now. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're a faithful, wise, loving God. And as we have listened to you, I, I trust that we will only be satisfied in you. That the things of the world would, uh, the things that we, we so easily tend to, to find uh, elevated as idols in our life would grow distasteful. And because of Christ redeeming us, we would long to be obedient service, servants to you and sons and daughters to you, filled with the fruit of righteousness because of your work in us. So, Father, I pray that as we conclude this service by standing and singing, that you would take this song and it would amplify these thoughts and it would drive us to rejoice in you because you are a faithful, loving God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.